Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. Uh, I'm Hudson Belinsky. Joining me today, it's Mike Lanana and Teddy Cahill. Uh, we're going to talk about the draft today. Uh, so it's it's about five, six weeks away at this point. The, uh, the class is starting to crystallize a little bit. We're starting to know who the top guys are and kind of where they line up a little bit. We're getting closer and closer every day, uh, you know, on the phone with scouts, coaches, uh, you know, as many people as we can talk to to try to learn as much as we can about the draft. Uh, and so today we're kind of just going to break down some things that we've been hearing lately uh, and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some, some of the, the power conference uh, teams we're about to get eyes on. Uh, Teddy, this weekend we're you and I are both going down to Columbia to see South Carolina versus Florida. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot to like about that Florida team, but who are you most excited to get eyes on uh, from a draft perspective? Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. That whole team is so outstanding, and we've had the chance to see them a lot of these players before. Uh, the like the key draft prospects: AJ Puck, Logan Shore, and Buddy Reed. Their three preseason first-team All-Americans, uh, they all played for Team USA last summer, so we saw a lot of them then. And uh, JJ Schwartz was on that team. Schwartz was on that team as well. Uh, he's a 2017, not a 16, though. Um, so all of those guys, it'll be good to see again. Peter Alonzo, their first baseman. Uh, there are so many different arms coming out of the bullpen that'll be good to see again. Um, so, you know, it, it's I I personally could not pick one. Uh, I mean, I love watching Logan Shore, so maybe him. But you know, the, I mean, the whole team is stacked, and it, it'll be a great weekend for scouts. South Carolina has a lot of guys. Florida obviously has plenty of guys, so it'll it'll be a good weekend. This is. It seems like you could just watch this series and come away with a lot of information, not just for 2016, but 17 and 18 as well, because you're looking at uh, a Florida team that's got. J.J. Schwartz and Mike Rivera behind the plate, both of whom could be early round picks next year. Uh, and then you're talking about in the, uh, I guess in the bullpen or in the midweek rotation. There's Jackson Coar and Brady Singer. <laughs> well, like, I, Florida Sunday starter uh, Alex Fado is. Fado, I mean, that's the guy I should have mentioned. To me, that's <laughs> a potential one-one pick for next year. And then Clark Schmidt throwing for South Carolina on Friday night is a potential first rounder next year. Um, and you know, they both have Alex Destino is a potential d- pretty early pick for next year. And John Jones is interesting. John Jones, <laughs> absolutely. They both have plenty of freshmen that are uh, that are very talented. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there's there is no shortage of talent uh, that's going to be in Columbia this weekend. Mm-hmm. And then you know Dane Dunning and Sean Anderson. Yeah. Hopefully we see them at some point. Well, this weekend I, as I'm well. sure we'll see them both. Um, you know, Anderson's been the closer, uh, and they're not shy about using Dane Dunning uh, in in any sort of leverage situation. So I'm, I feel pretty confident we'll we'll get get to see them both. The the one guy I'm most excited to see is the guy who's kind of cruising right now, finally hitting his his rhythm. AJ Puck. This is a guy who's been kind of all over the place this year. He had a little bit of a rough start, uh, some command issues. But now he's starting to live up to it. The uh, the six foot seven left-handed pitcher throwing mid to upper nineties gas retired what eighteen in a row at one point against Georgia the other last weekend. It was he had a masterful performance last week. So it's now it's going in. This is going to be his third start back from back spasms. I'm really excited to see what, what you know what AJ Puck has to offer. Absolutely. I mean that's a guy that is. A potential first overall pick uh, for this year, and that's everything. I mean, he he's got a lot of what you're looking for. I mean, it's it's a great body, um, it's a great fastball. You know, he's obviously proven himself in the SEC over the last year. I mean, there, there's a lot of things to like with AJ Puck, and when he pitches on Saturday, I imagine the the place will be packed with scouts, not only for him but also for South Carolina starter uh, Braden Webb, who is a potential top three rounds pick himself. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, it's pretty nasty. The uh, this year, uh, Mike is doing the Carolinas uh, for us this year and kind of diving a little deeper. 
as we look to put together our, the BA 500, the top 500 prospects in this year's class, as well as the state-by-state -state lists where we rank pretty much everybody we think is a pro prospect in each state. Mike, you've gotten eyes on Will Craig a little bit mm -hmm. over these last couple weeks. Uh, Craig, a third baseman and pitcher at Wake Forest, who's one of the more polished bats in this class. What have you seen uh, from Craig, and what are you kind of hearing uh, uh, in terms of the buzz on him? Yeah, well, I've seen Craig between this year and last year. I've probably seen him in eight games, and I think he's homered in three of them. Um, you know, the power with him is, I mean, you just look at him when he steps into the batter's box. I mean, he's a, he's a big guy. He's an imposing force. He looks like a man among boys just, just with how big he is. So, you know, just the body alone and the size of him stands out. Um, you know, he's a guy who, you know, for, for one, you have to give him some credit because nobody gives him anything to hit. You know, um, he gets he gets the kitchen sink every time he comes up to the plate. You know, he's he, um, at one point this year uh, he told me actually Notre Dame tried to intentionally walk him, and the first pitch they threw accidentally threw it over the plate and he hit a sack fly on it, and uh, he hit it to the wall in left field, almost hit it out. So that kind of tells you how strong he is. Um, yeah, but he's he's kind of a, a polarizing figure in, in some ways because. Um, I mean, for one, as far as the position that he's going to play at the next level, you know, right. some people are more lukewarm as far, as far as, you know, him playing third base than others. You know, some think he's a first baseman. Some think he might be able to, to hang there at third. I mean, the, the one thing is, I mean, he's not, and he admits he's not the most agile guy in the world at the mm -hmm. hot corner. Um, you know, if, if there's anything that he can do to make up for that is his arm, you know, because he throws, you know, up to 94 off the mound, you know, mm -hmm. as a pitcher, as a closer. So, you know, he does have that going for him. And, um, you know, as far as hitting-wise, um, you know, I know there's still some people with, with questions with that, but, you know, everything I've seen, he's very, very disciplined, um, you know, very good feel for the strike zone. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he goes up there with a, with a plan. I had a long conversation with him about just how he approaches hitters and how he studies pitchers and he really does his homework as far as pitchers tendencies and really watching what they do to other hitters in the game and he goes up there with a plan and sometimes he thinks a little bit too much and you know mm -hmm. it'll lead to high strikeouts he's really um, you know focused on on cutting down on strikeouts but for the most part he's he's a very intelligent hitter and uh, you know obviously once he gets a hold of one uh, you know particularly a, a fastball he can hit a fastball you know very far so yeah and it's uh, it's Part of that, I mean, he comes from that Tennessee class. That, yeah. Uh, it was the 2013 high school class out of Tennessee that also has other guys that are, I mean, they have guys who are, you know, had significant draft interest in high school. Yeah. But a lot of them ended up going to school. Nick Senzel being in that group. Mm -hmm. uh, Jordan Sheffield being in that group. Uh, Will Crow, uh, who's a guy we're, we're not really talking about much this year, but. Uh, you know, last year I saw him as a sophomore before he ended up going down with Tommy John, and this is a guy who's pitching at 95-96 in the seventh inning and pitching off of his fastball primarily. You know, had had a tight spin breaking ball that he could drop in for strikes when he needed it, um, but you know, kind of a, a bigger physical body, kind of a, a Bolinsky belly, if you will, <laughs> uh, but but uh, you know, has some things you can't teach, and so. I think uh, Will Crow is going to be a really interesting one in this class because we have a few guys who have Tommy John surgery this year who are kind of wild cards because you're not sure, you know, which teams are going to be all in on what they saw from those players as either underclassmen or early in the season. The 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 probably the best of that group uh, would be Cal Quantrill. Uh, Teddy, this is a guy who's freshman year was pretty exceptional was ridden pretty hard by that Stanford staff kind of what's your take on where this guy kind of fits I mean he's a guy with you know a big league average or above average fastball and a, a nasty changeup. I had one scout tell me it was an 80 changeup. so kind of what, what are your thoughts on on Quantrill well it's hard to know exactly where but you know I he there's no reason to think he's not a day one pick I don't think um that you know, yes, he hasn't pitched this year, but everybody saw him before. Everybody knows um, what what he's capable of, and that's 
it's just going to be there. There, you mentioned there are a few of them: Will Crow, Cal Quantrill, uh, Keegan Thompson at Auburn, or, or maybe some of the more prominent ones. And um, you know, sometimes some of it matters just on you know what they what they were thinking about, how badly they want to go out this year, or if they feel like they can improve themselves, if they you know actually had another healthy uh, college season. So in, in all those cases, um, you know, I think we're we're too early to know. Um, none of them are really on the mound yet. Mm-hmm. Keegan Thompson is just starting to throw. I don't know if Will Crow is throwing yet, but I would imagine he is. Um, you know, like like not serious throwing here, but you know, actually able to throw a baseball. Right. Um, I believe he's he was in April surgery. Yeah. He and he and Quantro both should be. I don't I don't know for sure that they are, but I imagine that they are. Um, so you know, teams will be able to get like some looks at them, even if they don't get in like games, which is unlikely here. Right. Um, but you know, it, it's just a matter of, of a comfort level you have with with these guys. But these guys all had significant uh, high school track records. They saw them good in college. They can go and, and watch the videos of that again. And um, you know, I feel like they'll all do pretty well for themselves, assuming that what they want to do is to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's, it's it adds a little bit of a wrinkle to it. You would think like maybe a few years ago that these guys would kind of just be off the table, but now they, you know, we've seen so many young players have Tommy John surgery and come back just fine. So it, it is not by any means a guarantee that you're going to be able to, you know, once you're cut on, be able to return. I believe the success rates was about seventy five, eighty percent. Yeah. So it's not a guarantee, but it's also it's not a kiss of death anymore. Yeah, it's a risk. It's a significant risk. Uh, and, you know, the bonuses we're talking about here are significant as well. So it's not like the teams aren't committing anything. Uh, so it, you know, it, it just comes down to, you know, what their doctors say, uh, what the medicals look like, you know, what the what their scouts can tell them. And, and, you know, it's just all about comfort level. You know, you have to you have to be comfortable with what you're seeing and you have to be comfortable with your, your own ability to help guys rehab. And some teams, uh, you know, have had a lot of success with that. The Nationals obviously come to mind with uh, with Lucas Giolito and Jordan Zimmerman and Steven Strasburg. But there are plenty of other teams that have had success doing it. So, you know, it's just a matter of uh, of what what risks you're willing to take and, and how much money you're willing to commit while you're while you're taking those risks. Right. And the you mentioned a guy like Steven Strasburg. Big league season is going. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sport and concert tickets. You want to go see Steven Strasburg? You want to go see Matt Harvey? Head up, go over to SeatGeek. You go over there. You, you enter your promo code. Uh, you download the app. You enter your promo code BA20, and you get a, a $20 rebate off your first purchase on SeatGeek. It's pretty cool. I, I, I significantly recommend checking it out. Um, and thanks to SeatGeek for sponsoring the podcast. Um, so next I kind of wanted to talk about maybe some gut feel guys, maybe some personal cheese balls that you guys have, have kind of unearthed in your uh, draft research thus far, or maybe somebody you've seen at a, a particular point on the college beat that kind of sticks out for you. And maybe, maybe not somebody who's going to be a, a surefire first rounder or anything like that, but somebody you kind of have a good feeling about. Mike, is there anybody who kind of fits that mold for you, kind of off the top of your, your head, putting you on the spot a little bit? Yeah, you're putting me on, a, on the spot a little bit. <laughs> I mean, Will Craig is one of those guys, obviously, uh, you know, talking about him. Um, you know, I've gotten a lot of looks at him lately. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Let, let's, let's, uh, let me throw it back to you, and let me brainstorm a little bit more. Who, well, do, uh, who is a cheese ball for you? Uh, cheese ball for me, I mean... Maybe this is a guy who I don't think is is really a high round consideration guy at Boston College. Uh, the catcher uh, Nick Shortino, right? Uh, guy who has some significant questions offensively, but defensively, this is a guy who can really, really catch and throw, uh, and is managing a pretty good staff right now at Boston College. We have Justin Dunn there, uh, six foot, six foot one right hander. 
who's throwing gas right now. He's, who's, he's one of my cheese balls, I would say. That's <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, know, I don't know that he qualifies on this. I mean, he's, he's he might go the first round. He might go in the first he round. Was, yeah, I mean, he was one of my cheese balls last year. As soon as I saw mm-hmm. him last year, um, actually pitching at Wake Forest and throwing yeah. gas out of the bullpen, you know, he stood out like a sore thumb in that series. Well, what's what's really interesting about Justin Dunn, and there are a few other players who are who are like this as well. He's made that transition from the bullpen into the rotation, and the stuff has not backed up. Uh, for in, in his case, the uh, the fastball I saw him against Virginia a couple weeks ago, sitting ninety two ninety five for five innings, touching a six, and uh, some people had ninety seven that day. And then he's got a slider that some people are putting plus grades on. I've talked to a couple people who have plus grades on the slider. Uh, throws a, a softer curveball that's got a little bit more top to bottom to it, but uh, kind of changes speeds a little bit. And he's shown some feel for a changeup as well. So, uh, you know, he's he's not six foot four and two hundred and twenty pounds and wide shouldered like your typical starting pitching prospect, but he's got all the stuff in the world. And in a year when college pitching has kind of taken a step backwards, we're looking at guys like. Alec Hansen, who, who a guy who's potentially a one-one kind of guy, who's now in the bullpen for Oklahoma, uh, just a disastrous season for him. In a, in a class where that kind of thing is happening, we have a guy like Dunn who's taken that step in the the right direction. Right. So it's it's kind of flipped. The whole college pitching class is kind of flipped on its head. Um, but Teddy, is there, you know, back to the to the question of gut feel, personal cheese balls. Is there anybody who sticks out for you? Well, you know, it's uh, probably the guys I've been talking about for a long time now. Um, you know, I'm not backing off Ryan Bolt. Um, you know, and I think he's showing more power this year, which is what scouts wanted to see. But in a crowded outfield class, you know, there's still still questions about, you know, just where he fits. I mean, there's just so many college outfielders this year. You know, we can talk about guys backing up, but that outfield class hasn't done that. Um, particularly, you know, Buddy Reed and Corey Ray and, and Kyle Lewis are still really at the top of that. But I mean, you got Nick Banks and um, guys like Bolt and Heath Quinn, and you know, on and on. I mean, they're, they're really that that remains the the strength of this class, I think. Um, so I, you know, Ryan Bolt definitely is is one of those guys for me. Um, you know, I also. You know, I, I I think that you know we we've seen some interesting mid major kind of guys um, you know do well. Eric Lauer continues to to shove at Kent State, and um, you know we're talking about college pitchers backing up or or not or doing what they're supposed to do. He's a guy that's doing what he's supposed to be doing. The numbers are pretty special. Yeah, I, I think at the start of the year you're looking maybe at a sandwich pick back end of the first round guy, and I think he's maybe positioning himself much better to be a you know a first round guy. And uh, but also on that Kevin Hill at South Alabama, who has not been thought of like this at all, and and will continue not to be thought of in, as a first rounder or anything. But his numbers. For two years now, really, have been just incredible there, and scouts have definitely you know taken notice. And he's gonna he's gonna go pretty decently, uh, you know, maybe as a, a bit of a money saver, but also somebody that you're gonna get, you know, uh, a decent prospect with that somebody who could maybe be a fifth starter type uh, that clearly knows how to get outs, you know, doesn't have the world's greatest stuff, but knows that and knows how to work with what he has. Um, and right now, I believe he's leading the country in strikeouts. Um, you know, so he's, uh, he's obviously a, a, you know, he's a cerebral pitcher, and he, he has a lot of traits that, think, that, that lead you to believe that maybe he can start. Some guys still see him as a, a swing man maybe, but um, mm-hmm. you know, he'll be, uh, I'll be interested to see where, where he lands um, you know, in, a, in about a month or so. Um, the guy I'm kind of interested in, and he's not necessarily under the radar. He was drafted last year, but you know, Kyle Cody, his his last few times out, I mean, he's he's really seemed to to find himself, you know, for Kentucky now as as their Sunday starter. He got off to a rough start, and he had a, a rough year last year. But mm-hmm. I know talking to to Coach Gary Henderson there, he's been really impressed just with his maturity and and his development this year. You know, he's a guy who's always had size and and, and stuff, and you know, drafted seven seventy third overall. 
um, last year by Kentucky and decided to come back. I, I wrote a piece on him and, and Kyle Funkhauser, and you know, while Funkhauser hasn't trended in, in a good direction this year, you know, it seems like Cody, at, at least from a statistical standpoint and a college performance standpoint, has has improved this year. Yeah, those the Kentucky Kyles are super interesting this year. Yeah. It's it's hard to really figure out um, because you have you have track record. You have a long track record, but the track record isn't necessarily good. I mean, there were nights, uh, there were times in, in Kyle Funkhauser's first three years when he looked like a slam dunk, no doubt first round pick. And then there were nights when he's 88-91, right. below average off speed stuff and fringy command. And and the numbers, you know, early on, you know, I haven't had, had a specific conversation about uh Kyle Funkhauser with a scout recently, but early on it was sounding like the same kind of deal as it was you know, towards down the stretch last year, where it was 88-91 and not you know all that great command. Um, but Cody, you know Cody, the the whole thing is like the velocity, the stuff. It's always been there. It's uh, there were some questions on the mental side of it, and to see that he's you know made that growth and learned how to pitch a little bit more is is very impressive and very encouraging. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy who is six foot five, six foot six, is a huge, huge son of a gun, yeah. and throwing ninety three to ninety six with power spin. So uh, definitely checks a lot of boxes there. I'm going to be very curious to see if he ends up going higher or lower than he went last year, because I could see a team being all in on that package uh, in this college ca- this college pitching class. Funkhauser, I would be shocked if he went. Uh, you know, nearly as high as he went last year. Yeah, it's it's just been a really rough year for for Funkhauser, and kind of it's interesting because that rotation. You look at beginning of the year, that looks like a lethal rotation. You have yeah Funkhauser, McKay, and Harrington, and then you have oh by the way we got this guy Birdie throwing a hundred out of the bullpen, which is like that's like a nasty that's like a triple a rotation already you know that yeah it's it's pretty filthy and and what's kind of surprising is drew harrington has been you know arguably their best pitcher yeah i I mean he has been (laughs) statistically there's no argument at all yeah he's he's been their best pitcher and this is a guy who's 89 91 you know touch a two yeah who throws strikes he's aggressive with his slider it comes right after guys and it's working i mean that's you know that's kind of an interesting guy to see where he fits because now you have I wonder you, I wonder <laughs> do you think this kid gets drafted ahead of Funkhauser it seems possible at this point you know I the you can't talk about Kyle Funkhauser without talking about you know what he's willing to sign for I don't think um, right you know the the fact that he turned down first round slot money to go back to Louisville um, is going to, you know, people are going to have to figure out, you know, what what it's going to take this time around, um, you know, what he's thinking. I, I don't know that anybody knows what he's thinking at this point. I don't know that he knows what he's thinking um, in terms of that. So, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, you know, like you're saying, it's really hard to figure out him and, and Kyle Cody where they fit right now because, you know, we know what, what they just turned down a year ago. Right. So, um <clears throat> Where they fit, I mean that that's going to be a large part of where they fit this time around. Mm-hmm. The the issue of signability is is always something that we have to pay attention to, especially on the high school side. The um, some of these power programs now, the Vanderbilts, the Virginias, the UCLA's these these programs, it's it's almost like. You hear about these recruits, you're talking to scouts about them, and it's like, well, he's a third-round talent. I don't know if he's signable. <laughs> it's like the, these, the allure of these schools has gotten to be to, you know, to the point where it's like, hey, every, you know, every kid is thinking, hey, I can, he might be able to go to South Carolina or Florida and take myself from being a third-rounder and develop a little bit, prove myself, and develop into a first-rounder. Um, I feel like this time of year that gets – a little overblown um, that, you know, stuff like that absolutely happens. But, you know, if you look at the Vanderbilt 
you know, signing, you know, what they what they had committed last year versus what they got, and what they got was incredible. It was the number one ranked recruiting class, um, but they still lost Tristan McKenzie and Bryce Denton, and I'm missing Dar- uh, yeah, DJ Wilson, Reggie Pruitt. Um, I think I'm missing someone else that they lost, but you know, so though you can still lose guys, um, and some of those guys were guys that they didn't really think they were going to lose. Like D.J. Wilson, I don't think anyone was really thinking um, that anyone would draft the 5'9"-ish high school outfielder from Ohio high enough to to sign him away, but it happened. Um, You know, so weird things happen over the last six weeks, um, and you're right. Teams absolutely have to take into account signability, and where these kids are committed factors into that, but... I just feel like until we're like right up to the last couple of weeks, you know, any anything that that you're hearing about signability at this point is, I, it's a very it's a very fluid situation. In a lot yeah, of there's cases. there's a lot of noise. You also start to hear rumors that are probably unfounded at this point. So there's there's a lot of chatter going on right now. Uh, you know, kind of over the next few weeks, we'll figure out what's legitimate as we talk to more and more people. Um, but some of these these recruiting classes, I thought it'd be cool if we kind of looked at some of these these power conference teams and said, you know, and broke down kind of what they have there right now for this year's class, um, as well as looking at some of the top players, you know, in their recruiting classes. Uh, so the the first one I want to start with is the defending national champions, uh, University of Virginia, uh, up in Charlottesville. They have, I mean, I think. To begin the year, I don't think there would be any question over who their number one prospect was. Now there there might be a little bit of a question with with the season that Matt Theis has had. I mean, I still think Connor Jones is ahead of him, but yeah. I think it's it's a discussion you can have at this point. Yeah, I mean, Theis has done nothing but hit really the last two years. Theis, I mean, Theis, baby. Theis, Theis, baby. I mean, <laughs> just the the power with him. You know, I remember, you know, I, I saw him opening weekend last year. And he hit two home runs that weekend, and he's been on a roll since then after, you know, not playing much his freshman year. I mean, he just has a ton of power. He had a ball at uh, at the, the Durham Bulls Athletic Park. Uh, I don't know if that a, thing's landed yet. About a month or two ago. It, no, well, we know it, it landed because there's a fine of Josh <laughs> Norris right. chasing after That's it. right. Yeah, we were able to re- retrieve that ball. But that was that was a monster shot. I mean, Looking at his numbers right now, um, you know, 371, um, 478 on base. He struck out just seven times in 167 at bats. That's the unbelievable thing walks. about him. Is yeah, like, is he swings with with authority, yeah. and he knows how to kind of shorten up and manage the count with two strikes. Yeah, and he's he's able to go foul some junk off. You know, spit on stuff that's outside the. You know, the zone. It's it's a really impressive polished bat. He's got that Jersey swagger and, he and does. confidence. <laughs> he does. He's a he's a fellow New Jersey. And I remember, um, you know, when he was a senior in high school, he was a guy who was drafted, I believe, by the Red Sox out of high school. Um, was on that East Coast Pro team, East Coast Pro Phillies in that summer of 2012. Which you start to look back at those East Coast Pro rosters, and it's like. Oh, Nick Senzel was there. Errol Robinson was there. Matt Theis was there. Dakota Hudson was there. Jordan and Justice Sheffield were there. It's like, it's a, a pretty loaded event. Uh, but Theis has always had this question mark of whether he's going to catch long term. Right. And I, I don't think uh, he's really answered that, at least positively. I think uh, the kind of, I don't want to say consensus, but... Generally, what I'm hearing from from people I've been talking to is that no, they don't believe he's going to catch long term, but they don't really care because the bat is that that polished where you could stick him at first base or potentially a corner outfield spot uh, and just let him rake it at one of those positions. Um, you know, a left-handed hitter with a good idea of the strike zone and and you know, some real power. You know, the the guy we're comparing that to is Connor Jones, right? And, Connor Jones, a right-handed pitcher who has been at times up to 95, 96. You know, this year we're willing to pitch a little bit lower in the 90s with, with a lot more sink 
kind of has become more of a command and uh, pitch to contact guy this year. And that, you know, his his numbers are are pretty solid. He's got four pitches at times, mm-hmm. um, but the the lack of strikeouts it seems to be is uh, you know one of the concerns that scouts have. For me, that seems like a you know a positive thing. It seems like he's a little bit more efficient um, and able to go deeper into games, which at times in the past he's been susceptible to the one big inning when he's trying to throw the fastball above a guy's hands and miss him a little bit low and boom it's out of the yard. Right. Um, but what who, do you, who would you take if you're if you're picking either Connor Jones or Matt Thice? Who you got? That's tough. Um, I don't know. I really like both of them. I really like you know the thing about Connor Jones. I, I feel like that's really changed in these past couple of seasons is, is adding the the splitter to his repertoire. I know that's a pitch of late in his freshman year. I believe he added just because he never really got a feel for a changeup, and he started throwing the splitter. And I feel like that pitch is, you know, probably his best secondary pitch at this point, or arguably his best secondary pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a pitch that's really changed him. And as you mentioned, you know, in the past he he would have those one big innings where he would lose command a little bit, walk some guys, get a little wild. You know, maybe try to do a little too much as as you're talking about, and things kind of get away from him. And he's really kind of, you know, rein that in, and, you know, he's had an excellent year. Um, he's been the ace that they needed and what's been kind of a, a difficult year for them pitching-wise. You know, they're getting back into this into this race now, and they're back into our top 25 this week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously you have to look a little bit at the, the track record of other Virginia pitchers, you know, that have been that have been taken in the draft. I mean, that's something that, that's come up a lot before, so I can understand maybe some teams being wary, you know, as, as far as that goes. Um, I think it really just depends on organizational need. I mean, if you need a bat, if you're looking for a little thump, I mean, Matt Thice has some has plenty of thump. He has plenty really? of power. But I feel like as far as college pitchers go in this year's draft, I feel like Connor Jones might be one of the, the safer ones. Mm-hmm. The uh, yeah, I mean, there's and those are the two main guys um, at Virginia that for this year. But when you start to look at next year, it's another kind of deal like we were talking about with Florida and South Carolina. I mean, you have Paven Smith at first base. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, Ernie Clement in the outfield. Uh, Adam Hazley. You know, if you have guys who are going to have three years of track record performing because they were so young last year right. when they, they won the national championship with a team that had a lot of freshmen and sophomores as key contributors. Um, you know, so that that's a, a team that's always going to be interesting to watch. And next year they're – I mean, they have such a strong recruiting class uh, that we'll see, you know, kind of how it all shakes out. Some of these recruits might be a little a little too good, might be signing out of high school. But you look at that class, it's Nolan Jones, uh, shortstop, third baseman from Pennsylvania with big power. Joey Wentz, who, you know, I think entered the spring as more of a offensive prospect with, you know, massive raw power from the left side and a big – lanky frame but it's it sounds like he's gonna really he's really turned it on as a pitcher sitting low 90s with quality off speed stuff and he's six foot five 220 pounds throwing downhill and you know touching as high as 93 94 at times um sounds like he has put himself in that first round discussion max max Kranick, a guy who really worked it hard this off season, added some good weight is He's you know sitting low nineties now. It's been up to ninety five. The off speed stuff still battling battling a little bit of consistency. It sounds like, but this is a guy who has really opened some eyes this spring. You look at some of these other recruits in their class. You know, one I'm a little bit higher on than than some others. I think is Cayman Richardson, uh, a potential shortstop with some feel for the barrel. Bobby Nicholson, uh, another Virginia guy, uh, state of Virginia guy. Uh, at St. Anne's Belfield High School. Uh, guy who throws hard is up to 94. You have Noah Murdoch at 6'8", who is uh, all about UVA, has been you know, very vocal about you know, his desire to go to school. Uh, but this guy is you know, sitting low 90s and he's 6'8". You can dream on him for days. So it's, it's a very exciting class for UVA. But we'll see what kind of impact they that it ultimately gets because it sounds like you know Wentz and Jones might not be getting there because they might be first rounders. Um, Kranick 
will be interesting, you know, to see where he lands. You know, if he goes up, you know, ends up being offered the kind of money high enough where he chooses to sign out of high school. But some of these other guys, it looks like it could be an impact class, you know, based on the strength of Richardson, Murdoch, and Nicholson. Um, but another program, what's who, who would you guys like to, to take a look at next or some of these power programs? Is there anybody that, that kind of sticks out? I mean, probably I mean, Vanderbilt's going to be going to be probably one of the better ones yeah i mean the the team that virginia played the last two years in the the college world series finals i mean obviously vanderbilt this year is loaded i mean you're looking at on the mound alone just jordan sheffield and ben bowden and um you know then you've, you've got guys like will toffee and um brian reynolds in the outfield and um, so they've got they've got plenty of uh of juice for this year and obviously they brought in the number one recruiting class in the fall and uh, I would imagine that this year's recruiting class will rank somewhere in the top 25. Vanderbilt currently has the longest, they have the record for most consecutive top 25 recruiting classes, which I believe is 11 right now, but I could be wrong. Uh, I know it's the record. Wow. Um, and yeah, I, honestly, I do the recruiting class rankings, and it's difficult for me to imagine a Vanderbilt class not making the top 25, because when you look at this year's, it's insane. It's it's insane. not gonna. These guys are not going to get to campus, but they have Jason Groom, they have Ian Anderson, they have Braxton Garrett. That's just three guys. The, those, That's, those could be three top ten picks. Yeah, the <laughs> it's insane. It's like how Groom. I, I mean, I think I am as big a fan of Jason Groom as you could possibly be. <laughs> I've seen this guy like a dozen times. He's. Uh, He's gotten better over the last two years. Pretty much every time I see him, he's a little bit better. Uh, saw him throw a now erased no hitter. Um, some eligibility concerns or transfer rules kind of locked that up a little bit. But this is a guy who is six foot five, sits in the mid nineties, has touched a little bit higher, has a just insane breaking ball. When he's on top of uh, of his breaking ball and he's directional towards the plate, watch out because that thing is is a monster. It's, it's breaking late. It's tight. It has late tilt. It's it's everything you look for. Um, Ian Anderson is, is kind of an interesting one in that he's dealing with a little bit of soreness in his side. Uh, had pneumonia as well, uh, so kind of. Not getting out on the mound as much as you'd like to see from a, a guy who might be picked up that high, uh, but I'm getting some some really good buzz on on when he did pitch. Well, the other good thing about that is that since he is from upstate New York, uh, he still has plenty of time left in his high school season. Like these Florida and Georgia kids, like we're pretty much at the end of their regular season, right? Um, so you're gonna you're gonna hear about Florida, Georgia, you know, some of these other southern states how they're they're done uh, mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks. Ian Anderson still has five solid weeks of high school baseball. Right. And uh, the stuff, I mean, this is a guy who is throwing everything from the same release point, you know, sitting low 90s, 91, 94. Uh, I've heard touching 95, 96 at times. Um, really late breaking uh, curveball, kind of a, a curveball that jumps on you a little bit, a light bend to it. Uh, and then just a, an exceptional changeup. His changeup probably the separator for him. Uh, a pitch with feel, with fade, uh, command of, of all three potentially. So uh, this is a guy who could be picked in the top ten. Braxton Garrett has really turned it on as an athletic left-hander from Alabama. Uh, an exceptional performance at NHSI kind of started the uh, – the, the pickup on that, you know, built some steam there, uh, but has pitched well consistently even since then, um, and is getting a lot of heat in there. You know, some you know, scout, plenty of scouting directors and you know GMs. Even above that, yeah. So it's like it's it's starting to get insane. This is a guy who's probably a top fifteen pick at this point. Um, you know, left hander who's you know an eighty nine ninety two with command, pretty nasty changeup, and then. Oh, he could spin a breaking ball as well. So, uh, you look at those three guys; it's kind of insane that they're they're in the same class. That they're all. I mean, 
you know, if they called each other up and said, hey, let's all go to Vanderbilt, <laughs> I don't know what they would do. I mean, Vanderbilt's already got so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, there's at least one, probably two open spots in the rotation next year, so they would find a way to use it. It would look a little bit like what Florida has this year, but they would find a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then, and then we, haven't, we haven't talked about Drake Fellows, who's also in this class, a guy who's six and foot five, throws a little more likely slot. to to get to Nashville too. Right, right, and, and this guy's you know also low nineties, touching ninety three, ninety four at, at times, and so, and it's you know from his arm slot, he's getting a lot of sink on that ball. So it's he's an interesting one. Thomas Jones is a a boomer bust type uh, from uh, you know Lawrence, South Carolina. Showed exceptional power at uh, East Coast Pro. Uh, kind of the quick twitch guy, the athlete you're looking for. Uh, football player as well, who had some some interest, uh, some D1 interest in football. Uh, J.J. Bladé, who is just a total gamer. Uh, a guy who's you know, more upper 80s on the mound, but a left-handed pitcher uh, who's got a curveball. And then... You know, decent feel for the barrel as well. Kind of interesting to follow, you know, what, what he ends up doing uh, when he is at school, if and when he does get there. Um, I, he seems like a guy who probably gets there at this point. Yeah, that'd be my guess. I mean, with the with, – like I was saying earlier with the Vanderbilt players, like the elite guys, like they, they do not – it's not like Stanford used to be. I don't know. I guess Stanford still is kind of this way where you sign a guy, Stanford signs a guy, all the scouts look at each other like, oh, well, okay. Uh, I guess we'll see him in three years. Um, you know, Stanford just has such a great track record of getting everyone to school. Um, Vanderbilt isn't quite like that. They do lose guys. They lose elite guys. Um, but for the most part, once you get past them, they're they're probably going to hang on to them because – of the you know the track record of the program and the kind of player that they're recruiting, um, you know obviously it's a it's a place where you go and you get better, um, and you know the the track record speaks for itself there. I mean Dansby Swanson was the first overall pick last year. I mean they had three first rounders last year, and uh, you know they'll have they'll yeah. have a few this year again. I saw Dansby Swanson last night actually over in uh, Zebulon Carolina Mudcats versus the. Well, how good was the Hawks? What's How good is the hair I mean, right it's, now? it's easy 60 flow. I mean, we might be talking about 7 flow, and that's not one of his carrying tools either. I mean, it's th- this is... A, that is why he keeps getting on the Baseball America cover, though, I think. I mean, he's been on the cover like three times in the last year, and I really feel like the hair is, is helping his cause. There. Yeah, he's a, he's a special player, but you're you're exactly right, because Dancy Swanson's the 38th rounder out of high school. Like, And he's a guy that... Um, he really developed a lot there. He, right. There were questions about could he be a shortstop. He answered them there. Mm-hmm. The uh, the whole freshman year, I remember having a, a long conversation with uh, with Swanson last year when Vandy was uh, was at South Carolina. Uh, basically, just sat down and talked for like a half hour, and he basically said that freshman year for him, learning kind of the speed of the the college game. Making a, you know, kind of making that adjustment one step at a time, getting stronger physically. You know, he battled a, an injury at, during his freshman year, but also getting to be around uh, was it Vince Condi, uh, the the shortstop who was there ahead of him, seeing somebody who was just a really natural, pure defender. So, you know, I get a lot of questions about like, you know, on Twitter about like whether this kids should sign and like why kids would ever turn down this kind of money. I mean, the reality is some kids just aren't ready at high school and need to have a more incremental adjustment period to get to the, to the pro level. And so they don't go to the Gulf coast league and flame out in two years. And that's their whole career. So, you know, for some of these players, they might be, you know, like they might be quality pro prospects even right now and guys you can kind of dream on and project but they might not be ready, so that's that's certainly something that teams are are keeping an eye on. Uh, let's let's talk about one more uh, program uh, and see if we can can wrap it up after this point. Is there anybody? Uh, let's, you guys uh, let's go out west. Um, I know that. Um, you know, do you want to do you want to talk some UCLA, Mike? I mean, we could. <laughs> 
The, the Bruins haven't yeah. having a down year. They, although they did have a good weekend last weekend. They did. Okay. They're I mean they're not out of it. Uh, everyone in the Pac-12 is is handing it out there. Uh, they're they're pretty much every team except for one is within two games of first place. So uh, no one's no one's down and out there. It's a little bit maybe of a down year from a draft year this year from from the Bruins' perspective. Right. Um, you know Grant Dyer, Eric Folia are kind of their their big guys. But Mike, I know you've seen a lot of their recruits. Out at area code games, guys like Blake Rutherford and and uh, Mickey Moniak, and so I mean, what are, what are you uh, thinking about what they uh, what they potentially have for coming in for next year? Well, I'm um, I'm assuming Blake Rutherford and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Moniak probably aren't gonna be making it to camp. Probably not, but <laughs> you you never know. I mean, yeah, it would be it would be pretty special, like. What do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're UCLA, you hope you get them. But I mean, that's. I mean, Blake Rutherford. You know, that's. I don't know. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, but I mean, you look at what the, the recruiting class that they have, um, just put together right now. I mean, obviously, those guys, Kevin Gowdy, very talented right-hander. Um, you know, Kyle Mora. I mean, I assume Mora probably yeah, gets Mora the campus. Probably gets there. Yeah. yeah, I would think Mora probably gets the campus. Um, yeah, I mean, another very, very talented class. I mean, and then you look at, at, at their current roster, the way they're constructed now, and, you know, you, you would think, uh, you know, Griffin Canning would probably get some interest his junior year. He's having another really nice year for them after, you know, a standout freshman year. So. They're they're a little down. I mean, they you know last year they lost basically their their entire weekend rotation and you know five starters in the lineup to the to the draft. So, um, mm-hmm. so they're a little down right now in terms of, of of draft talent on this year's team. But if they can get you know half of this recruiting class that they have coming in, they should be okay next year. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. The uh, I mean the the top guys are Rutherford and Moniac and. Uh, you know, I was just on on a call with an area scout out there yesterday, and then texting with another one, and, and talking to a West Coast crosschecker, um, texting a little bit this morning, and it seems like a, Rutherford's age has be you know is a significant part of the evaluation with him because he is a little bit older. He's he's going to turn 19 uh, in about a week, uh, so he's old for the class, which is a significant factor in terms of how teams evaluate talent and project talent going forward, especially on the high school hitter side, you're looking at a guy, I mean, Rutherford, the, the joke we keep hearing about him is that he's the best college bat in the class because he's so much older than, than most of these high school players. Um, and when you think about it, like, Seth Beer is, is kind of a similar guy, like, Seth Beer is has gone to school, obviously, enrolling early at Clemson. A guy with with you know just exceptional offensive tools, who's kind of lit the world on fire as a freshman, is probably a, the freshman of the year in, in this country. I mean, it's hard to think of another Luke and Baker. Luke and Baker. I mean, there <laughs> there you go. But it's, you know. it'll be an interesting like uh, to to deviate for a second here. It'll be very interesting to see how those guys finish the last month, especially now that Baker is um, dealing with a little bit of an arm injury, so uh, he can't pitch right now. It'll be fascinating to see how that finishes. But anyway, yeah, I mean, but you know, too. So, so Rutherford being a similar player, and he's old enough to the point where if he goes to school, he would be draft eligible as a sophomore. So, if that kind of age, you know, I think he's he's generally considered a, a you know, for sure top ten talent. Um, but each individual team, you know, might say. Hey, well, we have this guy who's polished, but he's 19. You know, maybe we take a risk on this other guy who's a little bit younger, or maybe we go with a guy who's gone already gone to school and proven it at you know power conference school. So, you know, it there is a a scenario. It is I wouldn't say it's particularly likely, but there is a scenario in which Rutherford slides a little bit. Uh, and you know, at that point, you know, you might say, oh, well, you know, I could go to school for two years and and you know, prove it there. So, uh, whereas Moniac, I'm getting kind of the opposite. Um, Moniac is, has real, real buzz right now. The questions coming into this fall, I'm sorry, this spring, were how much power is he going to hit for? And 
He's he had a couple home runs at at the Boris Classic. He's uh, he's already got just an exceptional hit tool. I've I've talked to people who put seventies on his bat, uh, and not not a burner um, speed wise, but quick enough and really good instincts in center field. I remember the the one catch he made at area codes. Good Willie Mays. Yeah, that was an incredible yeah, catch. I mean, it was impressive. <laughs> yeah, he's got some skills out there. Yeah, I mean the thing about the the age thing with, with Rutherford. I mean, some of you might wonder, you know, why why are we why does this matter? Why are we even talking about this? But you know, there there has been research done. Uh, Randy Jezzarelli, uh sorry, Randy for ruining your last name, I'm sure. Um, Jezzarelli of Baseball Perspective. Back back when he was with Baseball Prospectus, um, you know, did a pretty significant study into you know how, especially a high school hitter's age. Um, you know, affects his, you know, what, what, what that does when you're older or younger for your class. And the, re- the results were that, you know, younger, if you're younger, it's better. That they, they, have, they have better resulting careers than players that are old for their class. So that's why teams are looking at this stuff. And, I mean, it does matter, but, you know, you're, I, again, I, I don't know how, how much it will matter to, to push him down the draft boards. Right, they... And the the thing is, like these these studies are, you know, that, that's uh, more of an aggregate study. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it matters. It, it's definitely telling information. Uh, but to the individual, like if we're sitting down, Blake and breaking down Blake Rutherford, not breaking right. down Blake, <laughs> but uh, if we're breaking down Blake Rutherford, okay, he's not, he's going to be nineteen at the draft. But this is a guy with natural line drive ability who's, you know, n- maybe isn't a center fielder long term, but he might be. You know, he's kind of got a fringy arm, you know, more average speed than plus speed. But there's just the life of his line drives. The way the ball comes off the bat is almost unparalleled in this class. I would say Nick Senzel is probably one of maybe the only guy ahead of Rutherford in terms of how the ball comes off the bat. Um, Kyle Lewis probably also being ahead of him. It's also something that teams are going to have to become a little more familiar with, I think, in years to come. It seems like I don't have any research to support this, but there is anecdotal from talking to uh, you know college coaches in recent years that they, they seem to think that it's happening a little more often that, that – kids are coming to them a little bit older that more parents are um not holding kids back but you know whereas you could push a kid to enroll them in kindergarten a little earlier but you know you're holding them back um you're you're not pushing the envelope as much because there's research that says in other parts of your life it's better if you go into going to kindergarten a little older so they're they're thinking from the baseball perspective they, they're thinking they're reading <laughs> malcolm gladwell was, in, was is that uh the david and goliath book he goes into that or is it outliers even i forget I, yeah, i'm not i'm not quite quite sure which of gladwell's book but he is one of the ones he talks about like uh he, he has his whole thing about like hockey ages and like how the, if you're born a little bit Earlier, you're one of the older kids in a in a cutoff group. You're more likely to be more physical. You're going to be better than the younger players when you're five, and so you get better coaching. You're on a better team. You get better coaching again. So like when you when he broke down like the rosters of like it's like the Ontario Junior League or something like that. Like all the kids were like the the, the best Junior League. He was like all the kids were born in a certain month yeah. so it was pretty interesting and so there there does seem to be a little bit of an advantage to it from a life perspective um but the the baseball thing is interesting because it's a little bit the opposite it's not exactly the opposite but it's kind of yeah i get a little obsessed with it every every year last year i put together our chart of all the oldest and youngest players in the top 500 and um it's something i probably look at more than more than is necessary but it's very interesting to me, and it'll be very interesting to see how it affects Rutherford and other players. And, and how it affects Delvin Perez, too, because yes. Delvin Perez is, goodness, he is young. He yeah. is so young. It's, last year, the youngest was, uh, was another Puerto Rican um, infielder. Uh, it was uh, Yomar Valentin. Um, and I imagine, actually, I, he was 
He was the youngest on the BA 500. There was a Puerto Rican that was even younger than that that was drafted. There was, uh, um, there was also the... There was like a 16-year-old that The, the Canadian, yeah. um, Ben Pelletier, yeah. um, who the Phillies drafted, um, who was, was 16 because of all the Canadian weird rules. Uh, I don't know. I don't understand it. The, the poutine nonsense. <laughs> the, but, um, but yeah, so Delvin Perez is born in November. So he turns 18 in November. So he's like he's like 18 months younger than Blake Rutherford. And there are a lot more rough edges to Blake, uh, to, sorry, Delvin Perez's game. But the upside is huge. And you think of, you look at this guy and think of if he puts this all together, we have a, a shortstop with power and speed. So it's, it's a pretty enticing package, and it'll be very interesting to see who's going to be all in on that package uh, come the draft. The I think it's a little it's a little too risky to think about at one or two, but when you get to like maybe three to ten, you could see one of those teams being in on them. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and unlike most of the rest of the players we've talked about, he is not committed to, to college, so. Uh, signability probably going to be less of a factor with him, although we're talking about a potential top ten pick. So, right with those guys, you very rarely encounter signability issues to begin with. Right, um, but yeah, the other one, other young one being Groom, um, Groom turning eighteen in August. So it's you know a guy you want to dream on. Might as well dream on the young ones. Um, the but to wrap up this uh, UCLA stuff. Um, yeah, Moniac, it sounds like it's going to go really good. You know, top 10, top 15, something like that. Um, in my first mock, I had him going number 13, I believe. Uh, maybe number 12. Um, but coming off the board pretty quickly. Uh, so after that in that class, they have Kevin Gowdy. Uh, pitchability righty. Uh, guy who's uh, last summer was you know anywhere between 88 and 91 mostly. Touched 94 at the Perfect Game National Showcase. Uh, solid at the area code games. Wipeout slider. Flashes some feel for a changeup. Uh, some velo fluctuation this spring in terms of some days he's going out there sitting 91, 94. Some days it's 86, 89. Uh, sounds like he was pretty good his last time out. Uh, you know, One of the better pitching prospects in the state of California this year. Uh, and you can dream on his body a little bit. Uh, but a more polished guy for sure. Um, some have questioned the deception to his, his delivery because he's been hit a little bit more than you probably should if you're being if you're throwing 91-94 in high school. Uh, so he, I do think that there's going to be a team that's all in in the, the 20s or 30s on him, but he does seem like a guy where there is also a realistic scenario in which he does end up at UCLA. UCLA also does a lot better job getting their pitchers to campus than their hitters. They, you know, they've had some significant hitters committed that they weren't quite able to get. Austin Hedges comes to mind. Right. That um, the Padres wound up paying him two million dollars, and uh, UCLA definitely was uh, hoping that they would get him, and they did not. Um, but their pitchers, they, you know, they, their top pitchers are more likely to come. Uh, you know, last year we saw Hooper show up. We saw Kyle Molnar get there. Garrett Cole, obviously very famously, got there. Trevor Bauer enrolled early. Uh, Caprillion and even Adam Plutko were pretty significant prospects out of high school. Maybe not quite this significant, but you know they were able to get both of them. I mean, John Savage does a great job with the pitchers, and so pitchers particularly are very willing to go and get coached by him for three years, and you know then see where they're at. Yeah, I mean, when you have when you when you can say. We can develop you and say, well, look at this guy, this guy, and that guy who developed into you know, such and such. I mean, James Caprillion last year developing into a first-rounder and had a really hot start this year, kind of a, a maybe an uncanny start for him with touching some high numbers uh, with the fastball. Uh, has some kind of injury now. Uh, but you look at that, I mean, he's the perfect example. If you go to UCLA – you might turn in. You might be able to fulfill your potential because of the staff that they have there. Um, other guys in this class that yeah, after that, the the rest of these guys, it's it's kind of similar. Like they'll probably get them. Uh, Ryan Kreidler, uh, 
shortstop, third baseman from Davis, California. NorCal guy with some strength in the, his swing. Logan Powelson uh, was a member of the Huntington Beach rotation that entered the year looking like the number one team in, in high school baseball. Uh, has had Tommy John surgery, so he is, is probably a guy who gets to campus. You know, might have been a guy who got to campus anyway. Um, you know, more of a 88-91 pitchability, kind of a, a stocky Bolinsky body comp. Um, he's a pretty good hitter as well. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a gamer. He, he's a really good player, and you know, I think he'll be a good player at UCLA. Chase Strumpf, a uh, little, little divisive. Some people really are, are high on Chase Strumpf. Uh, you know, probably not a shortstop long-term, uh, but some strength to his swing. Uh, real high hand set, um, so he's got to really figure out the timing of that swing uh, to avoid being on top and rolling over stuff. Uh, but when he gets his pitch, you know, he can hit it a long way. Jeremy Idens, uh, another guy with some tools, a third baseman from NorCal. Ryan Garcia, uh, a guy who's been, you know, 86 to 90 on the mound. Um, short right-hander, also a shortstop. Jordan Prendes. You know, it's a it's a pretty good class. Uh, Mike mentioned Kyle Mora, also an upper 80s guy with some, some projection to his frame. Uh, Jaron Silva. Kyle Queller is a, a guy I kind of liked uh, back at PG National. So it's a... It looks like it could be an impactful class uh, for the Bruins, which is it's just what the doctor ordered because they are, they're going to need some help next year for sure. But, uh, guys, to kind of close things out, um, is there anything you wanted to kind of get off your chest uh, before, we, uh, before we move on uh, and, and close this, things out, this thing out? All I'm going to say is I've really enjoyed using SeatGeek. My ticket purchases. Yeah, did you get the twenty dollar promo code? Did I you did. Use that? I did. Yeah, I went to a uh, Durham Bulls game the other night. Nice. Yeah. It's the uh, yeah the minor league stuff. It's it's awesome. I mean, like SeatGeek, it's pretty cool to have something because they actually tell you like you know whether you know how things grade out. So it's like a, a red, green, yellow kind of deal. Like this, like green. Yes, this is a good deal. Do it. Like red. Like hey, Pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe, maybe you know, wait a little while, see if the price comes down. So it's like, uh, you know, you get the sense that they actually you know, care that you get a good deal. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, um, definitely, it's very user friendly. Um, but Teddy, anything else on the the draft front? You know, I'm just uh, looking forward to seeing how we uh, how we get going here in the the final month. You know, there's always there are always a few surprises here uh, as we come up towards the end and. Uh, I'll probably be slightly annoyed when they happen uh, <laughs> while we while we try and figure out everything that's going on. But it is always fun to see how this final month shakes out because things do change. I mean, the the evaluations of the players probably don't change that much, but um, there are guys that that really help themselves, and there are guys that are are going to come up injured in the next month, and there are going to be guys that that um, you know go backwards. So it's going to be interesting to see how this how this shakes out. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of scouts hitting the road really hard right now, and um, we'll be we'll be interested to see what they come up with. Yeah, the uh, the injuries thing kind of reminded me of something I wanted to mention. So we have Ian Anderson who, who tweaked his side. We have now Reggie Lawson as of yesterday tweaked his side. We have Dalton Jeffries who, who tweaked his his calf or his yeah, hamstring. It's a, it's a shoulder. Now ultimate sub subcapsular muscle strain. Right. So it seems like yeah, I don't his, know. He tweaked sub-cap, something. His subcap. The old subcap, <laughs> as they say. Uh, it is the year of the tweak. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, players will stay healthy from here on out. Well, that's better than uh, what we had last year. So. If we're gonna have something that that would be preferable to last year when it seemed like everyone was having Tommy John or some other kind of surgery, right? And it, and it sounds like you know talking to the coach Esker at, at Cal, they're they're optimistic that they are gonna get Jeffries at some point this year. They're just obviously proceeding cautiously with them just because he's you know so important to them, and obviously you don't want to mess with a, a kid's future who's you know right. And he's he yeah. is such a competitor that you know I bet he's probably begging to come off the bench and get into a game 
he did play catch on Tuesday and said he felt the best he's felt in, in a long time. So that's that's progress, and he's cleared to, you know, progress and, and pitch it until he feels comfortable and they're confident enough to, to go with him. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully for, for his sake and obviously for, for Cal's sake, for, you know, their season because they've gone through a little bit of a rough patch, you hope he gets healthy sooner than later. Right, and he was a guy who had – I think firmly kind of put himself in the the first round consideration. He was having a player of the year type year potentially. Yeah, yeah. he was six six zero. I think one point two nine ERA. Um, really, just dominant. His last start was a complete game against Oregon State. Yeah, it's it's so. it, it's pretty special. The the concerns about him going. I mean, you know, the things we've heard even before he was hurt was okay. He's he's a six foot right hander with thin shoulders, so. Yeah, you you kind of worry about that, and you know, in terms of a guy who's going to be, you know, potentially putting on a major league workload, um, and so there is that concern is highlighted a little bit by this injury. But if he goes out and pitches like, you know, yeah. like he can, it's hard to say that he's still not going to be a high priority guy for somebody in the draft. Thing with him though too is you know he missed time last year with injury. You know, too. I mean, I think he missed four starts last year, so this is now back-to-back springs where he missed time. So, mm-hmm. you know, you wonder health-wise, you know, going forward, how he's going to be. You know, right. so I don't know. Obviously, when he's healthy, he's the, he's the real deal. Yeah, I mean, he's it's showing a, that for sure. It's a big fastball. It's a big changeup. Yeah, it's a, a slider that that shows some promise at times. So it's it's a three-pitch guy with command and you know, a college performer. So yeah. just the raw package looks pretty good. Um, the injury concern is a little alarming at this point. But I think, I mean, we could talk about the draft all day. I know I could. Um, I actually do. <laughs> um, but uh, I want to thank everybody for downloading the podcast. Uh, thanks SeatGeek for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, definitely check them out. Download the free SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code BA20, and SeatGeek's going to send you 20 bucks back after your first purchase. So it's a pretty good deal. Uh, for everyone uh, here at Baseball America, for Mike Lanana and Teddy Cahill, I'm Hudson Belinsky. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.